Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Kevin Kelton, a moderate Democrat in Los Angeles, and I'm joined by my always co-hosts, I am Rebecca Kushmeider. Unlike Wilbur Ross, I will be endeavoring to stay awake during this podcast, and I am a progressive feminist in Kensington, Maryland. <laughs> I'm DJ McGuire, a conservative feminist from Suffolk, Virginia, enjoying the Executioner beer from the Castleburg Brewery in Richmond. Y'all come down and to have some, you hear? Are they sponsoring <laughs> us? We, have we got a beer sponsor? Because that would be awesome. This is this is this is how we get new sponsors. We just keep talking about them until they start paying us. So <laughs> we see yeah, we show up in their Google alerts. Exactly. And this is Greg Matuzek, a common sense liberal, who I would be happy if we just start talking about the new seven Marvel movies coming out in 2021. That's my big news for the week. From Cincinnati, Ohio. Forget this politics. We're just gonna talk about geek stuff today. No, I'm alone. <laughs> Not the worst idea I've heard. No, it's not. It's probably, we'd be happier people. But, uh, okay. So don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU Podcast and on Instagram at MPU Fan Club. So, gang, we will talk maybe later about uh, comic book movies in the offing. But right now we have to talk about our comic book Congress and that (laughs) apparently – there is actually a rule that says that you cannot say anything overtly nasty about the president on the floor of the House, including calling him a racist, even when he is, by every account known to man, a racist. <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, the founding fathers and the early members of Congress who set this up were also racist, and they might not have wanted to hear that about themselves. Fair point. So so the House voted on Trump's uh, comments. They were condemned by the House. And, and of course, the, the president was duly chastised and I think humiliated by that experience and seems to be a different man today, don't you think? Oh, yeah, he's definitely he seems way more mature, subdued and normal. Like, I almost want to hang out with him. <laughs> Can you hear my eyes rolling as I say that? First of all, the, the Congress did something. Those comments should have been called out. Um, and you know what? Congress does have limited control over the executive branch. To be precise, Greg, the House did something. The Senate continues to sit on its hands. Right. So, okay, so Mueller is going to be testifying in, in a couple of days. Uh, predictions as to what the Democrats will ask and whether it will have any effect on the course of history. I mean, I'm assuming that Democrats are going to look for clarity on the question of did Trump commit indictable offenses were he not the president? I think that's what they really want to clarify there. Um, and, and all of their questions would be 
probably not overtly saying, okay, so if he weren't the president, Bob, would you have totally narked on him? That's going to be the, the undertone of it all. I was surprised to find out that Mueller is actually practicing in mock hearings, which really, wow, he has to rehearse for this that heavily. It's amazing. So if we learned anything from Benghazi, Benghazi went on forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, and when it came down to Clinton's testimony, 14 hours, maybe it was 18 hours. I can't 11 remember. hours. 11 hours. But you know, every time we talk about it, it gets longer. Point being, nothing new came out of it. And that was the headline. Okay. If something new, if something bombshell, it's got to be like a Gap Band hit single, okay? And if he's just reading off his report like y'all are saying, the number one headline from everyone, from Fox News to, uh, you know, the East End London Journal, which is a fabulous, you know, it's going to be nothing new. No big deal. I agree with you, Greg. Okay, you know, you know what? Hang on, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin, I get to call somebody else wrong for once, and it's Greg. <laughs> oh, is it Greg? Oh, it's me. Greg, Greg, you're wrong, and here's why. There was a there's a columnist for the Daily Mail named Dan Hodges, sure. who is a brilliant columnist. Uh, good he guy. A, he, yeah, he's a good guy. And I watched his reaction to Mueller's to Mueller's statement. Now, what Mueller said was nothing that you and I didn't know. It was nothing that the four of us didn't know. Something the four of us didn't didn't scream into our into our snowball mics all the time. But for Dan Hodges, it was a revelation. He had no idea what was actually in the report because he didn't bother to look at the damn thing. Well, all I can say is my guess is he's going to stick to the four corners of the report. It's going to come off as no news here, nothing we didn't already know. And frankly, I think he's going to be so frustrated to not only the Democrats on the committee, but to the Democrats listening to the testimony on, on Wednesday. I think by Thursday, he'll be the most hated person in America. I think people on both sides of the aisle will be really over Bob Mueller by Thursday. There's no way he comes out of this as a hero. Okay, let's uh, not spend all of our time on that topic. Uh, the 2020 primary moves on. CNN this week made it official. CNN has now turned U.S. presidential elections into a reality show with that ridiculous debate lottery show they did last week. Did anybody watch that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like the draw for the Kentucky Derby. Oh, yeah. No, I, there's a ton of precedent. I just don't think it should be about presidential elections. But then again, I'm a purist. That's why I watch TV 17 hours a day. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's why you believe it should be, you know, gladiator. You know, yeah. It should actually be a fight to the death. But, you know. And the gladiator I would give a big thumbs up to is John Delaney, because there's talk that he might actually do the decent thing and get out of this race sometime after he's had his second debate appearance. DJ, are you heartbroken? Uh, this is not unexpected. As I have said, I, I have said on this podcast repeatedly, I'm with John Delaney to the end. I have also said on this podcast repeatedly, I expect the end sometime in this calendar year. Uh, Mid-August makes a lot of sense. You get out before you get bumped from the September debate. That's when I expect uh, Mr. Delaney will withdraw. He has one chance to make an impression at the July debate, but we'll see what happens. If it's if it doesn't happen for him, it doesn't happen. The, the one thing I hate about this story, the one thing I hate about this story is that it was John Delaney's staff that leaked this. That doesn't surprise me. Staff does that. 
staff does this and that they're trying to get onto another campaign and rather than say hey john we just don't think this is working out we're gonna go over to like you know where the cool kids are hanging out like cory booker they just like leaked this story because they weren't like you know mature enough to say we don't think you're going to win so we're going to leak a story that you're going to quit and that was terrible or maybe they leaked the story to see if that would spur a fundraising surge, like if there's an untapped pocket of support and they were hoping to suss it out by threatening to take his toys and go home. It could have been that, too. I don't know. As bizarre as that sounds, it can't be ruled out. You know who can use an infusion of some uh, uh, donor money is Mark Sanford, because uh, he's apparently considering running for uh, running or uh, primarying Trump, I should say. Uh, anybody think that's going to happen and anybody think that can be effective? I'm not saying he's going to win the nomination, but it can be effective in uh, dinging Trump. No, it can't no? be effective. And I'll tell you why. Because as soon as he started talking about it, they asked him, oh, well, what about Trump's racist tweets? What do you think about that? And he basically hemmed and hawed and acted like a complete moron. So, no, it can't be particularly effective. Uh, I actually, I, I, I admired Sanders as governor. I admired him in particular as a congressman and his willingness to stand up to Trump. But if, if you can't acknowledge that Trump's racist tweet, that, that Trump's racist tweets are in fact racist, you really have no point being here. So I'm sorry, Mark, but just endorse Bill Weld and move on. Okay. Well, let's not talk about Mark Sanford longer than his actual campaign will last. Um, <laughs> because there are other people running for president. Cory Booker was out courting the nerd vote at Comic-Con this week. DJ, that's right up your ballpark. Well, and let's also acknowledge that Cory Booker is dating an actress who has performed in Comic-Con-worthy movies, Rosario Dawson. So he's he's got an in into the whole nerd culture. Let me ask you a question, though. If Cory Booker was to dress... And go in some sort of cosplay outfit. Who would he dress as? Batman. Batman. Yeah, you don't think Cory Booker wants to be Batman? <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I'm not so sure. I'm seeing Batman. No, I don't think he could pull off. I mean, he's too. He's too happy. I mean, he, he yeah, pull off, yeah, he doesn't pull yet. off the Batman vibe. I agree. I mean, he's more Aquaman. And, and when I say Aquaman, I mean like '70s age Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, can I talk to fish? <laughs> yeah, you can talk to fish. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! So, Cory Booker did something this week that made me do something I rarely, if ever, do, which is I cursed at the television. He made me so angry that that Jessica an- analogized it to somebody watching a baseball game and going to the manager, "What the f- are you doing?" I actually yelled at the at the TV because he was being interviewed on CNN, and Dana Bash asked him 
a very good question, which was, you say that you are not for any type of middle class tax cuts at all. You want to lower taxes on the middle class, but you also support Medicare for all, which by definition means that you would be increasing the taxes on the middle class. Can you explain how those divergent outcomes match up? And he claimed that he is for Medicare for all, but he said, but as a long-term goal, first, I think we need to get a robust public option in place. Well, folks, that is not Medicare for all. The Bernie Sanders plan is a four-year step-up program that gets to Medicare for all in four years by creating a Medicare buy-in or a Medicare option along the way for certain classes of people that are now having problems getting insurance. You don't say, but first I want a public option. That's two diametrically different stances on the same issue. He is doing to, the reason that I get so animated about this is because this very well may be what costs Democrats the election because the Democrats running for president are such spineless wimps that they have to miscast what they stand for because they don't want to say it out loud. It is not the same thing. If you're all for the for a robust public option in the ACA, you're on the Joe Biden stage. You're on the Pete Buttigieg stage in terms of where you stand on health care reform. So he, you cannot say I'm for Medicare for all, but as a long-term goal. That's not what the single-payer people want. They want it now. So, Kevin, what you're saying is you're upset because Cory Booker pulled a Kamala Harris on this issue. Yes? Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. No problem. Uh, Rebecca, you you must have. I mean, maybe you didn't see that. You didn't see that because you don't watch television on Sunday mornings. But, but had you seen that, you would have caught that, right? Oh, I totally would have caught it. I mean, th- there is a difference between a public option and the Bernie Sanders plan and, and trying to somehow – merge the two in real time in a television interview is clumsy politics and it's you know well but, it's, but, it's but, calculated well, what it proves is that booker does not have a well-defined idea of his own that he can say well bernie wants this and kamala wants this and elizabeth wants this what i am proposing is this he can't delineate himself okay so uh, i agree with you what i hope will happen in one of these debates i mean the, the next set of debates is that the questioners will be pointed on this and say, don't tell us that, you know, you're for Medicare for all, but you still believe in private insurance. Those are diametrically different things. Don't tell us that you're for Medicare for all, but you're only for it and it's a long-term goal. That's that's not what Bernie Sanders stands for. Are you today endorsing the Bernie Sanders single-payer Medicare for all plan or not? That's the question that they should ask and then find out, if you do support it, why? If you don't, why? I think Pete Buttigieg is still the one who who really stood out on on that line of questioning when he said, I'm for Medicare for all who want it. That was the most masterful answer to that question that I've seen yet. Well, it's it's a good answer. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in that I wish it was more specific. That's all. I understand what he means. And again, I know you do too. But what I am seeing in Open Fire and in the other political groups that I'm in on Facebook is that even really informed Democrats, even people who are wonkish like us, don't understand this issue. And it's driving me batty because this could be a key issue 
in the fall general election campaign. What I think the presidential candidates on the Democratic side are doing is purposely obfuscating the issue because they're afraid to take the tough stand. Preach. And, and, and it's, and you know what? I like Pete Buttigieg, but it, you know, just to say Medicare for all who wants it, it's a great tagline, but people don't know what that means. That means a buy-in. That means we'll offer you Medicare and you can pay for it for a premium, which by the way is what I support, but he won't tell that to people. And that's the problem. I want the people who are going to make this decision to understand if you support a candidate like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, who is a purist on single-payer Medicare for all, you better understand you might have just lost Pennsylvania. And Wisconsin. And Ohio. Well, I think what all of the candidates have an acute understanding of is that what's going on in the courts right now with the ACA lawsuits is very likely to be a SCOTUS case right in the most fiery portion of the primary. So some of them may be, you know, trying to dance around this because they're going to have to clarify their position in um, reaction to that when it comes time. So there's there's so much context with healthcare right now. They don't know what they need to fight for quite yet. So some of them are trying not to define themselves too strongly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, J- Joe Biden has bluntly said that he is prepared to defend and protect Obamacare, uh, plus add the, the option of a public option. Uh, sure, but that's for- because Joe Biden has no imagination. But but it is also about it is also about the clearest that any of the candidates really have spoken on this issue, with the possible exception of Warren. I mean, even Sanders has sort of tried to hem and haw on this kind of thing. Brandon Bernie Sanders has his own problems right now with his campaign staff. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kevin is right. Most of the most of the candidates are trying to essentially pull a fast one on the voters about what they want to do. Biden, I'll give Biden credit. He is at least saying, "This is what I want." This is what I think is best. And, you know, the, the folks who say they want Medicare for all, this is what Medicare for all really means. And it's not good. The only, the only, the only thing I would like opponents of Medicare for all to point out is the fact that under Medicare for all, insurance companies aren't going to go away. They're going to become government contractors and their profits are going to be guaranteed. I think if most Americans recognize that the insurers that they hate would actually be perfectly fine under Medicare for all and would in fact have their profits guaranteed as government contractors, they might recognize that this thing is not really what they think it is. So wait, DJ, you just said something that's brand new to me and it sounds like it's a very important point. So I want to highlight this. Sure. You're saying, you're saying that if, if like Warren or Sanders or another person who is for Medicare for all Mm -hmm. got elected president and was indeed able to get that bill passed, Mm -hmm. you're saying that uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, uh, the other big healthcare companies would simply become the contractors that are now um, overseeing Medicare. Is that what you're saying? Right, I, because I'm quite certain that that the Health and Human Services will look at the fact that they now have to insure 300 million people instead of you know what is roughly 40 to 50 percent of that under Medicare and Medicaid, and go, oh my God, we don't have the staff to handle this. How are we going to administer all this kind of thing? And then Blue Cross Blue Shield and Cigna and, and, and all the others will go, well, you can just hire us to do it. We will gladly do, we will gladly do it for you. And, and then what health and human services will do is that they will put this out on contract. 
They'll put out requests for proposals. And granted, I've been a government, I've been worked as a government contractor for some 20 to, for some, for, for almost 20 years now. So I know how this works. They will put an RFQ out. The big health insurers will compete for it. One of them will win, or maybe if they insist that it's two or three, uh, two or three uh, contractors, two or three of them will, will will have it, and they will essentially become the they will become the contract support for the Department of Health and Human Services. And instead of having their profits dependent upon the various whims and 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 ways of the economy and health and and who buys or doesn't buy their insurance, etc., their they will essentially have their profits all but guaranteed by the federal government. It will it will likely be a cost plus contract, or even if it's a firm fixed price contract, they'll end up with negotiating clauses and such that it, that minimize their risk, so that they will essentially guarantee profits for their investors and their shareholders. And it will be the exact opposite of what so many M for A supporters want, which is an end to private health insurers. Those companies aren't going away. They're just going to tweak their business model a little, and they will find that they will be very happy as contractors for the Department of Health and Human Services. That's where I see this going. I am stunned that I am the only person who sees this. However, DJ, if they become government contractors administering a defined benefit program that is created by the government, that will leave no gaps in what insurance coverage is. So the fact that they are raking in some sort of profit and their shareholders are still made whole and the people who have 401k investments in insurance companies don't lose a chunk of their retirement, that that doesn't necessarily bother me as long as the product they are providing is equivalent to whatever the Medicare for all model is. Okay. It, it may not bother you, but I'm sure it will bother a lot of voters who frankly don't, who frankly are not. Look, if voters were concerned about the nature of the insurance and the healthcare they, that, that, that they were receiving, if voters in the Dem, if, if the Sanders and Warren folks of, and types, if they were truly worried about that, they would notice that continental Europe has numerous multi-payer systems and that in fact the benchmark for this is the German Bismarckian system, it actually has his name to it, which is a multi-payer system with multiple sick funds and insurers that compete for people and that allow for consumer choice. Most of them, or if not all of them, are nonprofit. But the fact of the matter is, that's not what they're focused about. They're focused about taking their pound of flesh from insurers. They want health insurers to pay. They want an end they, they want an end to the insurance companies. They want an end to companies profiting off of health insurance. They want to stop people profiting off of people suffering. Well, guess what? Cigna and Blue Cross Blue Shield, et cetera, they're going to continue profiting off your suffering. They're going to do it as government contractors, and their profit is going to be guaranteed. So if you're doing this to end prof- the profit motive in health insurance and health care, this is not what's going to do it for you. Ironically, it may very well be the Bismarckian multi-payer systems that are more likely to do that because the insurers are, in fact, usually regulated as nonprofits in that kind of system. But that's not what Bernie Sanders is asking for. That's not what Elizabeth Warren is asking for. They're asking for a top-down government monopoly that will be forced to look to the very insurance companies that these people hate as contractors and outsource support, which means they will be doing just fine. 
their investors will be doing just fine. And the voters who think they are smacking the insurance companies and eating the rich and all that other kind of nonsense will look around in 2024 and 2025 and notice Cigna still around and Blue Cross Blue Shield is still around and that they're being more profitable than Arizona government contractors wonder, wait, what the hell happened? I thought we were punishing those people. Wake up. That's not what's happening. Just so you know, eating the rich would not be covered by Medicare. The health risks of that. <laughs> well, DJ, first of all, long rant, but a very worthy one. I, I got to say, this is what I love about this this podcast, because <laughs> I haven't heard that any place else, and it makes perfect sense to me. Well, no, I mean, and, and DJ is right. There is, there is a dichotomy in how people feel about insurance. If what you care about is getting to a better insurance product that offers more coverage and better coverage, then I'm sort of, I, I don't care who delivers it. I, you know, I, it, it, I, I, I don't care who delivers it. What I want is equity in healthcare coverage. So it doesn't bother me the idea that you might outsource the administration of, of health insurance to BCBS or Cigna or whomever. If what you want is to, you know, beat down these these uh, corporations that have had these abusive practices for so many years, then uh, I, I don't have a good answer for you because, as we have seen in the past, it takes a lot to kill a corporation. Yeah, and I got to say, DJ, while I'm not a fan of Medicare for all, what you described doesn't necessarily turn me off to it because – I don't mind if those companies have a healthy business as U.S. government contractors, as long as the health insurance marketplace is regulated so that there is no pre-existing conditions, so that people are not told that their policies are no longer valid, that they're not told that certain things aren't covered anymore. I don't mind Blue Cross Blue Shield being in business. I just don't want the practices that we had before the ACA was passed. Right. And I think that, and this is something that people don't recognize because most of the Anglosphere, which is what we tend to pay attention to because we're still a predominantly English speaking country, rely on some sort of government monopoly system, whether it's health insurance, such as in Canada, or whether it's healthcare delivery, such as in uh, Great Britain or to a lesser extent Australia. And what we don't recognize is that much of one, much of continental Europe relies on, again, multi-payer systems and a competitive market for healthcare and health insurance, although the health insurance markets are much more regulated than ours is. And what they also don't recognize is that most folks in continental Europe are happier with the multi-payer systems they have than the British or Canadians are with the government monopoly systems they have. Now, granted, just about everybody prefers their system to the United States for a whole host of reasons, and I get that. But the it's fact of the matter is, our system kind of blows. I well, mean. <laughs> our, our yeah, our our system is the worst. It tends to be the worst of all worlds. But the fact of the matter is, the systems on continental Europe tend to be more popular with their own people than the systems in the Anglosphere, particularly Britain and Canada, are with theirs. But for whatever reason, and I'm not really sure why, we don't focus on that. Well, DJ, you just said that we have the worst possible system and that European countries have a better system. And to that, all I can say is, why do you hate America? Yeah. Are you on the squad? Yes, send me back. Send me. Oh, oh no, wait. I have white skin. They can't send me back. <laughs> you know what? There's a squad that I'm on, and it's the Blinkist squad. Because in today's age, I had to get to the commercial folks. In today's age, it can be hard to find the time to sit down and learn more. It's not easy when the likes of social media can be so addictive and time-consuming. 
And so you may think you don't have the time to read the read books or to develop yourself, but that's not true. There's an app that we highly recommend. It's called Blinkist, and here's Greg to tell you why we recommend it. Well, Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, the bestest people, <laughs> uh, the bestest information. The be best. The best. From thousands of nonfiction books and condenses it down into I, I'm sorry, this must be a mistake because it says just fifteen minutes? Is that that's correct? Right. That's correct. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like Blinkist because I can read a book while I'm actually doing a karate kata. I can read a book while I'm cooking with Elliot and, and keeping him from burning down the house. <laughs> I can get the essence of some of the best selling nonfiction books out there. While I'm walking around Bridgeport Lake, which I can only do for another month because I'm selling my house. <laughs> but these are all reasons that Blinkist works for me. Yeah, and you know, Blinkist has a massive and growing library of best-selling books on business, self-help, history, economics, with titles like Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth, which is based on her hit TED Talk on how our broken economic system is taking coal on this planet. And also Soccernomics, the book that answers questions like why the U.S. lags behind the rest of the world in soccer and why the Germans excel at the sport, as told through the eyes of a world-renowned economist and sports columnist. And so right now, for a limited time, although they, we say this every time we do this ad, and it hasn't ended yet, but as Blinkist tells us, it is a limited time special offer for just the MPU audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash MorePerfectUnion to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MorePerfectUnion to start your free seven-day trial. The More Perfect Union. Now available on iTunes and Stitcher. And, okay, so back to the show that we're here to do. Congress and the White House this week actually actually did something good. They actually reached a tentative agreement on the budget that could suspend that could suspend the debt limit until 2021 and avoid some type of a, a debt ceiling government shutdown or whatever it is that happens in those cases. DJ, you're the guy that knows economics better than the, the other three of us. What exactly happened here, and, and did they actually make progress? And they said being a conservative Democrat would be hard. <laughs> um, this is what they did. They essentially said, you know what? We're going to suspend the debt limit for two years, whereas they should really just lift it because the thing is useless. We're going to spend some $300 billion more than the Budget Control Act says we should. Uh, but we're going to make up for it with $77 billion in offsets. And yes, I'm using the air quotes here because it's all basically technological ledger domain that doesn't take place until like 2028. It doesn't actually mean anything. So we're not actually doing any reductions in spending. So now the Budget Control Act of 2011, which was designed to finally put, put some kind of controls in spending, and force our elected officials to come up with more efficient ways to deliver government services. Now ends not with a bang, but a whimper. Um, with hundreds was that of sequest sequestration. Yes, that was sequestration. And so now it will end with hundreds of billion do billions of dollars more spent than was actually intended in 2011. And the Republican, the Democrats, are going to go along with it because Democrats generally tend to like bigger government and more spending. I get that. 
but the Republicans are going to go along with it because they really don't care about smaller government anymore. They don't really care about more efficient government anymore. They care about more racist government and the ability for Donald Trump to, to, to get money for his wall. In theory, this allows him to divert money, uh, divert money from whatever projects to, to, to put to his wall. But in reality, he could have done that anyway under the, under the national emergency nonsense. And there's no guarantee that the courts would actually let him divert money if Congress doesn't explicitly appropriate it, which they're not going to do anyway. So they're real at the end of the day, for those of us who think government is too large, who think it does spend too much, who think it is too bloated, this is just a sign that the Republicans really don't give a damn about any of that anymore. And that the Republican Party is once again the party of big government for white people. And it reminds me once again in clear, bright neon letters why the hell I left in the first place. Or in other words, if you think that government is too big, well, baby Huey just hit the buffet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, But what about guys like Rand Paul, who, I mean, he was willing to to stop funding on first responders medical to make sure that there were offsets. And I mean, he was willing to watch people die so that the deficit wouldn't get any higher. I mean, right. I mean, he's a POS. Let's come be on, clear Greg, on that. Come on, Greg, come on. We all know that was vice signaling. That was his way of showing, oh, yes, I care about spending because I'm willing to, to stop 9-11 responders from getting help. So, yeah, I really care about spending. So you won't notice the fact that I'm going to let this gigantic omnibus disaster go through and maybe say some nasty things about it but not actually really try to get my good friend donald trump to stop it because well i know you my kentucky voters only care about the fact that he's racist and that's why you like him and you like me because you think i like i like racist him so i'm not going to say anything and actually try to stop it that's all that was about come on you right know that i mean he voted for the tax bill and he never asked about offsets about things like that i mean exactly Right. I mean, it's yeah. only pork in someone else's district. Right. Right. So that's exactly right. What's that? What's so, that George Carlin line? Your stuff is shit, but my shit is stuff. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. Okay. Is have there you guys anything good this? in the spending bill? Like, I mean, are we going to Mars? Um, are we going to cure? Are they finally going to release the cure to cancer? Um, oh, no. Not, 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 nothing like that. I mean, look, no. if. If you actually, if you, if you like larger government, and there are plenty of people that do, I think the three of you do, then there is much to like about this because you get increases in defense spending are matched by increases in non-defense spending. Awesome. So for, so for the spenders out there, this is really good. This is really good stuff. But for, again, for those of us who would like to try to get some sort of handle or grip on government spending and would like to make it more efficient there's really nothing in here for us and that doesn't really and and again you know that's not something i expected even when i decided to join the democratic party i did not expect them to completely agree with what i think should happen on spending all at once or even ever but it is just (laughs) a reminder it is a reminder that for those of, of you out there in listener land who still think the republican party is the party of smaller government that the party of more efficient government Wake the hell up and recognize that that is not the case. Neither major party cares about smaller government, so you might as well go with the party that isn't racist in the process. So I'm hoping to get a bullet here, train here, from my house to work, a personalized bullet train at this point, because, you know, infrastructure. 
Is it infrastructure week? Definitely delayed. It might be. It's it's they've just they just keep pushing that back on the calendar. So you know, you know where it should be infrastructure week in Puerto Rico because apparently they are not doing so good rebuilding their infrastructure. No, and the governor there, uh, Ricardo Rosello, Rosillo, Rosello. Which one is it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you're that guy. That, that yeah. guy, Ricky Ricardo, is uh, is under siege, and I, the people I, are protesting in the streets because they dislike him so much. Yeah, I, I believe the correct pronunciation of that is Ricardo Renuncio, which I believe is Spanish for Ricardo <laughs> Resign, um, <laughs> because they are rather tired of the fact that he and his little group of folks um, are, are apparently very, very heavily corrupt and are also homophobic and misogynistic at the same time. Gee, who knew? Who would have thought those things go together? Weird. Hey, it's a southern U.S. territory. What else do you expect? Oh. You know, not for anything, Kevin. You've been really hard on the South this episode. I think that's like your third joke on the South. I, you know what? I, I, I apologize because I actually lived in the South, and I like a lot of things about the South. Okay, so where did I, you live in the it, South? And I when you say in- the South, did you mean like South Jersey? Because that yes. doesn't count. <laughs> I lived I lived outside of Atlanta for about a year and a half uh, in a little place called Peachtree City. And I, I loved Peach it there. Peachtree City, sure. Oh, dear it's God, delightful. you you lived in the real South. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Although there were a lot of transplants from Chicago and stuff there, so. Okay. But can you say one nice thing about the South for our listeners? Um, Dude, I live here and I'm having trouble with that. So let, let's not let's not push Kevin too. <laughs> yes, much. I can. The cooking. The cooking. The cooking is wonderful. Okay. The first night there, our neighbors brought us something called a low country boil in a big pot. And oh, did I fall in love because I'm a seafood person. Oh, did I fall in love with that? There there you go, Southern. Yeah, that's that's, that's how they get. They they start with the food and they say, see see how great this food is. See how great food. We can't really be that bad if we come up with this great food. The racism, the, the food is worth the racism, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so here's a story. So I move into this town, and as you guys know, but our listeners may not, I happen to be a Jewish person, and uh, my family, of course, is as It just well. happened. And uh, so we move into this southern city for reasons I won't even go into. They're too long and complicated. And the people there couldn't have been nicer except for one family, two doors down. The kids were friendly with my kids. But the parents just would not acknowledge us. And one day I'm at a barbecue with the whole block is there and I'm sitting with the guys in the backyard and they're all talking about their lawnmowers and this, that, and the other. And they, they brought up this family and I said, Hey guys, can I ask you something? You know, they seem like nice people, but they don't seem very friendly towards us. What, what's going on there? They don't and they said to, to me, <laughs> they said to me, as nicely as they could and as sincerely as they could, they said, oh, Kevin, don't take that personally at all. It's just that they think you're going to hell and they feel bad for you. <laughs> but they meant it in the nicest possible but that way. They feel bad for me. Yeah. Well, similar story. My father, when he was in the army, was stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama. And my my mother and I came along. My sister was born while we were there. And a, uh, a, the wife of another service member said to my mother, because my dad is Jewish, my mom is not. She said, I pray for you every night because you're married to a man who can't be saved. Right. 
Right. And my father had to be restrained from running over to her house and saying, hi, Jesus was a Jew. (laughs) (laughs) So what else should we talk about? Oh, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about um, George Nader, if you want to talk about that. It's a little dark. Yeah, let, yeah let's let's bring up George Nader. George sure. Nader. George. George Nader was in the news this week because he was arrested yet again on child indecency and possibly child smuggling. What a lovely guy to be part of the of the uh, Trump administration. I uh, know I stand corrected of the Trump campaign. I don't believe he was involved in the administration yet, although who knows, maybe I'm wrong. No, he was part of the uh, the Bush administration, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did something there too. This story, this was amazing because Greg put this on the dock, and I had kind of seen something about like George Nader did did a bad did bad Nader, and I I didn't get a chance to read anything about it, and obviously <laughs> I, I didn't turn on a TV. Um, oh, for like, the record, Nader, that's that- how I that's how I preface these things. I just write bad Nader. <laughs> <laughs> It's like fire. I, read, like, I remember George Nader is being in like the Seychelles, talking to Russians, something during the transition. Like Rachel Maddow talked about it. And so as we were prepping for this episode, I'm reading about George Nader. I'm like, so he's been arrested on child porn charges in four countries over three decades. And when he showed up at the Trump campaign door and said, hi, let me help. They said, OK, not bye, boy. I mean, what? What here, the here's hell? here here here's here's what happened. There was that there, there was a miscommunication at the Trump campaign. <laughs> Nader comes in and they say, you know, is there anything that that might be a little weird? There might be an issue. And he says, and he says, well, I I I do I, I do kind of like to watch kids getting screwed. And they said, oh, well, we're going to do that to kids from Central America all administration long. <laughs> You're in! <laughs> You're in. <laughs> so this guy, and by the way, this guy is mentioned in the Mueller report. Uh, now, I'm approximating the number because I heard this, but I don't remember the number. But it's something like 47 times. Okay, so we may be hearing more about George Nader this week. Well, yeah, he was part of Trump Tower meetings. He was part of those meetings in the Seychelles. The guy was an intermediary between the campaign and the transition team trying to set up certain conduits to international communications. And the guy is shady as hell. He was he was arrested in Sweden. He was arrested in the Czech Republic. He's in Germany, all for possession of child pornography. This latest charge that was just unsealed, it was child pornography and bestiality porn. And he also may have been trafficking a 14-year-old boy for sex purposes. This is not a good human being. This is not somebody any government official should be trusting. So – when when I worked for several campaigns here in Cincinnati, uh, and one of the things that we did, uh, it wouldn't well, not for volunteers or anything like that, but if you got hired by a campaign, um, they would say, "Hey, go talk to Greg for a second. and they'd say, "Okay, sure," and I'd say, "Hi," and I talk to you for a second or two, and then I'd say. I need your, I need like your address. I need this. I need this. I need your date of birth. And I'd say, okay, thank you. Goodbye. And then I would do like a background check on you for like all the things that you've done wrong. I do like, you know, and it was pretty standard. Like if you've broken the law or whatnot. And, um, 
one I, I'll, I'll never forget one person we found had like six felony convictions and uh we were we, they were going to offer them a, a campaign position and they came back and they said we're really sorry we can't offer you this position uh because you've got this all these convictions they said i know i was going to tell you about the convictions after i got the job and this way you couldn't fire me for them <laughs> that's some and foresight we said, that and we said, person had we would have fired you then and they were like no 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 uh, i have workers rights uh once i got the job there's no way you could have fired me for it and and uh, we're like you're, you, one of the things they were convicted for was stealing from their last job, and uh, we we're like, "Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. not so much." Of that. Oh, honey, I mean, oh, but honey. but I mean, like background checks are so like I had to do a background check before I was allowed to be like a parent classroom helper at preschool. I have to I have to do trainings and background checks to be a volunteer in county elementary schools. It, it like the Trump campaign couldn't even be held to that standard. Oh, I know. I, I had to do a background check to be a Girl Scout leader. Now, granted, we work around children, but to get some sort of to work around government officials and to—I mean, you would think, um, and and you would have well, to. Well, I mean, something. you can't get a clearance with a record of multiple child porn convictions all over the world. That makes you a blackmail risk to end all blackmail risks. Oh, I like, agree. The, you know, you shouldn't be hiring people who can't get a clearance. Although I think we have determined that Trump feels that that is fine and he'll give them a clearance anyway once again the best people the best and, people and you know who else the trump is letting people. off the hook is china because china who likes to you know use thugs to beat up pro-democracy protesters in the streets of hong kong uh this week got a pass from the trump administration uh what, what was it um they, they, to just they, stay silent on these things. Or? Yeah, basically the the deal was, and this 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 was agreed at the G twenty, but the, this was first reported now this week, I believe, in the WAPO. I saw it on the Daily Two Hundred Two in the WAPO. The Financial Times mentioned it a couple of days earlier, I guess. That the so long as the trade negotiations are continuing, the Trump administration will stay silent on what's happening in Hong Kong. For those who do not know, Hong Kong is considering passing a law that would an, allow the Chinese allow the government in Beijing to extradite anybody in Hong Kong who, for, for any reason, which would essentially demolish one country, two systems. It would demolish Hong Kong's rule of law. It would essentially turn it into an actual piece of the, of the Chinese communist regime. This has led to protests that have, that have gotten into the millions in, in Hong Kong. It has been a huge human rights issue, a huge civil rights issue. And Donald Trump basically agreed to ignore all of that so long as he can get, so long as he can pretend that the Chinese regime is going to buy a bunch of soybeans from us again. Uh, this gives all the leverage to Beijing. They don't actually have to do anything. They just have to pretend to keep the negotiations going. And so long as they do, Trump will stay completely silent on what is happening. One, because he doesn't give a damn about human rights. And two, because he's a terrible negotiator. It is literally the worst of all worlds. And for those of us who still think of the Chinese communist regime as the bad guy, and by the way, it is the bad guy, this is just another reminder that Donald Trump does not understand American values, does not understand democratic values, does not understand human rights, and just shouldn't fucking be in the White House. Okay, so as I understand it, uh, just to sum up here, 
The President of the United States is a racist. The Governor of Puerto Rico is corrupt and is incompetent. China is is being allowed to beat up pro-democracy protesters uh, just so that, that we have better negotiations and trade talks with them. But with all that going on, the biggest problem facing America this week is that FaceApp might be stealing your data. Did I get that correctly? <laughs> Mostly. And, and what is it? Now, I went on FaceApp, and I got to admit, I made the funny pictures of me young, me old, me as a woman, me bald. Um, so, so could what you did tell I, the what difference? What did I give up for that for that fifteen minutes of fun? What information have they now mined of mine? All right, before we go any further, before we go further, could you tell the difference w- between you and the old one? Oh God, it didn't look bad. But you know what? Here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Well, of course, nobody knows what I will look like in thirty years, but we do know what I did look like thirty, forty, fifty years ago, and yet. When I looked at the the young Kevin photos that that FaceApp created of me, I'm a dead ringer for Baron Trump. <laughs> really? Try and get in the yes, well. I'll sh- I will put it on um on the the Instagram MPU fan club page. I, I I'm going to make a prediction here, and yes, my predictions generally tend to suck, and you want this prediction to suck because it's a really dark one. I am convinced that the folks behind FaceApp who are actually Russian, will likely get all their information expropriated by the Russian government, who will then use it to test their deep fake video technology. So, Kevin, given about six months, you will see a video of yourself talking about how you like to pull a George F. Nader. Well, that's disturbing. Based on just a photograph, maybe they can. Maybe they can. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't download the app, so you guys can come hang out at my house. <laughs> yeah, I steer clear of the app myself. I just, I just missed out. Like, I didn't know it was happening until like twenty four hours after the headlines broke. But what? Why is it this app? Because it's a Russian created app. Why is it this app that's the the one that's going to imperil everybody's? Essence. Well, they're, they're all going to imperil you. Anything where there's a Facebook agreement saying, hey, you are giving up the rights to X, Y, and Z, you probably shouldn't be clicking on. Like all those quizzes that are like, hey, which like John Hughes heroine are you? Um, I'm, I'm Ali Sheedy's character in The Breakfast Club, by the way. Um, <laughs> like all of, all of those are, are mining your data. And, you know, we, we'd all just have to kind of be aware that we are the product when it comes to social media. Okay, well, with that, we want to thank everybody for listening. If you enjoy what we do here, please check out our website, mpupodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook. And also share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover us as well. And if you like politics and political debate and you'd like to debate with us and people like us between shows, please look for our Facebook group, Open Fire Politics. We're all there. and We'd love to see you there, too. Got a big week coming up, the Mueller testimony in a day and a half. Who will you be watching with? I will be probably uh, up in Northern Virginia for work reasons, so I probably will not be watching it. But I, this is another prediction I feel pretty good about. When we do our next podcast, we will look back and we will look back at the Mueller testimony and go, I can't believe that was only five days ago. <laughs> <laughs>
Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!